Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's class. Welcome to Corrective Lenses, uh, to our next installment of our conversation about worldviews. We're glad you're here, and we don't want to waste any time. We want to just jump right in. Um, Martin just gave me an informal promise that he's probably going to let everybody out early tonight, so hopefully you won't be upset about that. Um, so we're looking forward to our conversation tonight. A couple of things we want to make sure that we mention um, before we do get into it is, as has been the case the last few weeks here on Wednesday nights, uh, we have this uh, number that we've set up for you to text in questions. It's a Google number. It's nobody's personal cell phone. If you have a question either about the material that we're covering tonight or even a general question about anything related to Christian worldviews and other worldviews, please send it in. We'd love to uh, dialogue about some of those things. If it's related to the topic for tonight, um, then, then at the end we'll save some time and I'll come up and ask Mark those questions and he'll be uh, able to answer those uh, right here. And if it's a question about something else, then we'll save it for one of our other question and answer sessions uh, that are coming over our next two parts. So I'll lay out a little bit more about what's coming in corrective lenses at the end, but we do want to make sure you know right up front, and I'll mention this again at the end just so we don't forget and that you've heard us say it, not this next Sunday, but the following Sunday, which I believe is the 5th, is that right? Yeah, the 5th of October is, uh, is going to be on Sunday. Sunday morning is going to be more of a PG-13 kind of day. So just, just be, be aware of the fact that we're, um, we're going to be talking about some more mature subject matters. And so just, just you know your kids better than we do, uh, but it would be a great opportunity if you're not sure whether they're ready to hear some of these things to um, take full advantage of our children and student programming. Um, so know that that's coming on October 5th. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be talking about some more mature matters. As far as tonight, Mark is going to be talking about the topic of community, which forms a central place in the, uh, the a biblical worldview, a Christian worldview, and is also a kind of a, a cry of our culture, a cry of our era, this desire for a community, for connectedness, for relationship. And it's something for us that comes straight out of the scriptures. Right from the start, we learn that the design that God has for human life is that we do life together. Uh, when we talked last week and hear about work, one of the main points I made was that work existed before the fall, and it was a good thing. Uh, and, and interestingly connected to that, uh, soon after we have this description of work, we actually hear the first negative word spoken over creation. And mind you, up to this point, everything has been described as good or very good. So the sun, moon, and stars, good. Uh, the fish and the fowl, good. The land animals, good. The human being, very good. But then we have this description in chapter 2 where we go into more detail about, about humanity. And Adam is alone. And the first negative word spoken over creation is Genesis 2.18. It is not good for the man to be alone. And this verse will always have a special place in my heart for a couple reasons. One, because one time I was at a church, um, I think I was at a wedding at a, at a church building, and this church had tile floors, and they had different scripture references all over the building on the different sections of tile. So you'd walk over here, and it'd be John 3.16. You'd walk over here, and it'd be you know Nehemiah 10.8 or something like that. And then I remember I went to use the restroom, and I'm standing at the urinal, and I look down, and I see Genesis 2.18. And I think to myself, if there's a place where that is not true... This is that place. So I'll never forget that verse because of that experience and also because it forms a critical aspect of any worldview that is truly Christian, that is truly biblical. So I'm going to get out of the way and let Mark come up and talk to us about community. Well, I listened to Michael. I was down at Hope City on Sunday and I listened to Michael's sermon. 
uh, from this past Sunday. And I like to walk and I like to listen to sermons. And so I put it on my phone. I, I listened to podcasts at two and a half the, times the speed and my phone blew up. Because that guy crammed a size 11 foot into a size 9 shoe on Sunday. Great content. If you haven't heard it, listen to it. It's really, really good. I need you to open your physical Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at that as my primary text. And then you've got an outline that's got a bunch of scriptures. I think you know me enough by now to say that I'm going to put every scripture I use on a piece of paper so you don't have to trust me. And if you want to study this on your own, you can go pull that out and look at it. And so I'm going to go quick. Um, and I'm going to uh, do my very best. I've held my breath for about four hours this week to talk as fast as Michael. I think I'm ready to go. <laughs> Why community is the primary question of tonight. But I want to set it up so you understand that we're pulling a string from Chad's presentation on that Wednesday night uh, several weeks ago all the way through to the end of October. There are no missteps in this. We came up with no filler we eliminated some, some really good topics about worldview, like what do we do with beauty? What is beauty from a biblical worldview? We, we had to leave that out. As important as it is, we wanted to make sure you understood every Sunday morning for eight weeks and every Wednesday night for eight weeks, we're pulling a string across this. Why community? Well, if you listen to what Chad's told us about why we have a worldview, you take the message on what is the purpose of man, you tie it into what Michael said on Sunday about the value of every person, it is just natural in the equation of what God is doing for us to talk about why are there other people. You know, we had this conversation back in April or May when all of us went into a whiteboard room and started throwing up ideas for this series. We had, we had the concept of saying that you, you have to be careful when you talk about the value of man is I don't think in American culture any of us doubt that. I think we overestimate it, if I can be so direct. I think our culture is so individualistic instead of collectivistic. Collectivistic means that the patrons, the family, the unit of community is vital. In America, we have, we've taken that away. We've John Wayne'd everything. Just give me a horse and a shotgun and I can rule the world. We have to be really careful about that. I don't intend to be negative tonight, uh, but I am going to point out some things, I think, from a prophetic manner, if I may, using the scriptures. We need to shine a light in some areas of our world that need to be addressed. And community is probably the biggest challenge to us. Uh, I'm going to talk about sexuality on the 5th of October. My throat hurts right now, so I think I'm getting sick, and I may not be here to do that, but you know, we'll hand it off to somebody else. But unless we understand the value of the individual and the value of community, sexuality becomes something that we use instead of something that's useful for us. Does that make sense? I know I say this on Sunday mornings because I know you won't talk back to me. Shake your head if that makes sense. So when we're talking about community tonight, this is not an infomercial for what I do for a living or what we do as a, as a church. This is really the truth of how you take the value of the individual and you implement it as a useful part of God's creation. It's a worldview. It's why we do what we do and where we go where we go and why we buy what we buy and what we watch and what we think and what we listen to. You see, the value of others is found in a gift God gave us called fellowship. Now, fellowship is, seems to be a church word. I don't hear it anywhere else in the world. I don't hear two high school kids walking at a football game going, after the game, you would like to fellowship? <laughs> it's a word we Christians use. It's got an old-time flavor to it. But the truth of it is still there. We are naturally fellowship people. Do you remember when you were a little peanut of a person? 
how you could run across a playground to a stranger your age? And what question would you ask them? You want to play? Or if you all... Okay, I, my personality, I would stand there and go, uh-huh. My little guy walks across the room, what's your name? My name's Braden. Would you like to play? And off they go, best of friends forever. Do you notice how natural it is to fellowship? But we've learned. I tell this story often because it's, it's just, it resonates with me how culture, the darkness of culture is stealing what God gave us away. Uh, when I was probably, I had to have been seventh grade, my brother Scott was a freshman. We rode our bikes. Our parents must have hated us because we actually had to get ourselves to practice and back without a chauffeur. I could go on. We rode our bikes. I put my, my football helmet on my handlebars and I rode to practice with my pads on and everything. And rode back. It was about three miles back to our house and it started raining torrentially. And my brother and I were under a tree. It was coming down so hard. We were laughing. We stunk from football anyway. We were just going to wait it out. And this van pulled up. And it was a conversion van. Shag carpet on the inside. The original hippie from 1961 was driving it. He opened the slider and he said, throw your bikes in, I'll take you home. And we did. And he did. And we got to our house. And my brother Steve walked out and looked at this guy. And this guy said, hey, Steve said, you want a Coke? It's like a commercial. He goes in the garage. He pulls out a bottle of Coke. He takes off the lid, and he gives it to this guy. And this guy's like, peace. He drives down the road to an angel or a heroin addict. I had no idea. <laughs> Never thought twice about it. Do you know how hard I would discipline either one of my kids if they hopped in that van today? I didn't fear fellowship in growing up. I didn't fear that guy. I should have. And I now have rightful reason to. But in just one of those moments... Somebody saw somebody else in need, and what'd they do? They offered fellowship. What is mine is yours, and a Coke pays it up, and off we go. It's a gift, but I think it's somewhat rejected, and I want us to be careful. I go into a coffee shop today, and I see three or four retired men sitting around the table telling the same old stories they've been telling for three weeks. But why do they get up every morning and paddle down to the coffee shop and sit around the table and drink up a coffee? Because they're thirsty? Yes, for what? Fellowship. Okay, good. You're playing along nicely. Facebook. Facebook is a fellowship tool, isn't it? It's reconnecting with friends. It's telling your story. It's finding out other people's story. It's saying that we become more distant. And I think about reading Stephen Ambrose's book, Undaunted Courage, about Lewis and Clark going across our country and discovering the pathway to the Pacific Ocean. And I think when their mama said goodbye to them, what was she saying? goodbye. If I don't call my mom on Sunday, she grieves me over it. What happened? You didn't call. Well, mom, the phones ring from South Bend to Missouri, too. She just don't, she doesn't think they do. She wants her little boy to call home and make sure I'm okay. But I think about Lewis and Clark and that expedition, and they never saw their parents again, and they left. People are always clinging to relationships our, our country still pursues fellowship. I'm not sure if it's healthy, but it's there. Uh, Michael already said it. Genesis 2.18 is a key verse. Uh, if, you want, if, you ask, if you say to yourself, and, and I get this as a preacher, and it cracks me up. I get it quite often. It doesn't bother me because it, it needs refuted. And that is, I don't need the church. I don't need other Christians. I can worship God all by myself, and you are 100% accurate, but you're missing the point. Your, your ultimate goal in life is not to have a private worship session with God. 
It's to be useful in the kingdom and spreading the message, and you can't do any one of those things in isolation. Now, I am talking to a group of people who came after work to church. I know the wrong audience is in front of me, but I'm ready, so let's go. Why community? Well, it fulfills God's purpose for us. It allows the image of God in us to be beneficial to more than just ourselves. And it allows us to use our gifting. So, the term community has many connotations. I looked it up, did an internet search, because I have that amount of time. This is what I found. Community can mean a zip code, a school district, a place of work. But I believe I would like to define community far more distinctly. It is a covenant relationship with God and his people. I'd like you to write that down. That's what community is. A covenant relationship with God and his people. Michael said something last week. I, I tweeted it when he said it, and I'm trying to remember. He said, if it's work, play, and rest. Was that it, Michael? Do I remember that correctly? If you have work, play, and rest, and you don't have all three of them, none of them are worship. I'd like to, to tag team that excellent statement and say, if you don't have a covenant relationship with God that is shown through a relationship with others, you cannot keep the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So community is crucial. So am I saying that the way that God designed community is the church? Yes. Even as a preacher, this is not about my occupation. It's not justification for my professional existence. It's just I want to encourage us. A worldview is the church is not a hospital you run to when you're bleeding. It is the life source of living out our gifting. It's experiencing the beauty of God's intricacies. It's jacked up because it's full of people like me. But it's also God's imperfectly perfect way to bring about what you're, des what you're designed and wired to have and do. Now, I, I want to give a bunch of caveats here. When I say the church, I want to speak of the big capital C church. Not our often awkward, you know, uh, how shall I say this, franchises. And not what mankind has done to it. I'm talking about that ideal perfection of God existing with imperfect people led by the Holy Spirit to something greater than any of us can do by ourselves. Covenant relationship with God and with his people. So it's not the definition of culture where we find the value of community. It's not in success. Uh, I actually was listening to a, a podcast, uh, and it was uh, by Tom Rainer, who is the president of Lifeway. And uh, they publish books, and it's a, a, just, it's a blessing uh, parachurch blessing uh, to a lot of us churches. And Dr. Rayner was talking about the fact that he said he has, he's been dumbfounded by all the negativity toward the church growth movement of the mid-1980s through the tail end of the 1990s. And uh, he said the point, however, though, is no matter how much people are disparaging the church growth movement, they're still using the same metrics to measure success today. And he said something, I didn't like it, but I couldn't argue back. Of course, he wasn't in the room, it was my phone. But I'm walking through my neighborhood going, I don't like that, but I think it's true. And what he said is, the way we've defined the church today as success is how many people is it using to accomplish its end goal? I don't know that I want to be a part of a group of people that are using me to accomplish their end goal. I would like to define the church this way. 
a body of believers so committed to Jesus that God gets what God wants. And if that makes me useful, I'm in. But if it's making sure that enough people come so the preacher's famous, or they can pay the bills, or they're still the largest church in the area, does anybody want a part of that? That's like, I'm not on Facebook for a thousand reasons. Because I don't know that any of you wake up every day wondering what my status is. I don't. I don't expect you to. But I have people who have really connected through the power of that, and yet I actually have heard people say, well, I have so many friends. Really? The depth of it? Contact? You see how it's so easy to use the cultural definition of what fellowship is, that some of us are still desperately surrounded by friends and no community. Now, I want to proceed because I want to take you into that passage which when I asked a dumb question in an ecclesiology class in Bible college about the nature of the church, I said, I, I'll never forget this, Ron Fisher was my professor, and I said, I have yet to find a definition in the Bible on what the church is supposed to do. And Mr. Fisher looked at me and he said, reread it. <laughs> All right, note to self, don't ask or make statements in Mr. Fisher's classes. And he looked at me after class and he smiled and he said, young man, follow me to my office. And we went in the office and he opened his Bible and he read out loud to me Ephesians chapter 4 and I stood corrected. I'd like to read verse 1. I entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you have been called. Okay. Uh, Eugene Peterson wrote a brilliant, wonderfully insightful treatment of the book of Ephesians called Practice Resurrection. That's been mentioned recently uh, on this stage. I don't know if it was Wednesday or Sunday, uh, but somebody talked about that. It's what it means to live that out, to practice resurrection. Now jump down to verse 12. And what is this calling? Why has God gathered us in this community? For the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is the purpose of the church? For the edifying of the body until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I'm here to present to you in justification and then we'll move on to application that our worldview must find the value of the church in more than what it does for us. It may be found in what it does to us. Okay. In a consumeristic culture like ours, Many of us, including myself, I make statements like, I really like Sunday because of, and then the answer to that statement or the fulfillment of that statement is based on an individual choice. I really like the music today. We ended up beat. People were clapping and smiling and swaying and it was done. Everybody gave the big huzzah and we walked out the back door. And I walk out my evaluation of the community was whether it pleased me. And I want to caution us that because in the definition given by Paul in Ephesians, it's about fulfilling God's calling of each of our lives and I can't do that by myself. I need you. You help me fulfill my calling. You, you pull me in a direction I wouldn't go on my own. Your love and encouragement strengthens me and your rebuking settles me. Shake your head if that makes sense. 
So the church is not this industry by which we have these little branches that get bigger and broadcast their name and promote their pastor. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. I want to be crystal clear of that. It's really awkward for me to be talking about the value of the church since occupationally I represent too many of you outside of these doors. But I want to talk about what Paul taught me in Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to do this real quickly. Uh, some of you know that I'm adamant about this. And I heard, first heard Dr. Tony Evans, who preaches down in the Houston area. Um, I heard him say this. I know the year. It was 1984. And I was really vacillating. God was pulling me in a direction. And I didn't know what it was, but I didn't want to go. My feet were set, and I was fighting and leaning against him. I did not want to do what I thought he was asking me to do. And he didn't say it to me, but opportunities were coming. And I'm like, oh. And I had this moment. And it's how you measure a church. And I've given you the scriptures there, Ephesians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1, Colossians 1, 1 Corinthians 13. And what Dr. Evans said at a seminar I was at in 1984 was he said, if you really want to find out how you measure a church, you look at the things and the reasons for which Paul wrote letters to churches. Take the introduction of every one of Paul's letters to a church, and he commends them for their faith, hope, and love, or he rebukes them for missing one of those. So what is the purpose of the community that God gave us to bring us fulfillment? It is to lift everybody up to the measurement of Jesus Christ. And it is found in how we love, have faith, and show hope. Now, most preachers measure their church by the ABCs, attendance, buildings, and cash. How's a church successful? A lot of people go there. They're, they're building another building. Well, so far we've built a slab. <laughs> and we've got enough cash to at least pay for this month's payment. But do you notice that Paul never mentions? You never know how big the church of Ephesus is or Colossae or Philippi or the churches of Rome. He never says, I'm really proud of you because you have 12 more people attending to read this letter. Now Paul says, I commend you for your faith your hope, and your love. To a church that was struggling with their hope because they thought Jesus came back and left them, he wrote a letter and he said, have hope. To those that were struggling with faith, he said, I notice your love, but remember the cause of your love and what, what that hope is built on. To the church of Corinth, my goodness, he said, you guys are amazing. You put on the best show in town. You're, you're so open to everybody, you're maybe too open. And if you have all of those things but you do not have love, you're what? You're just making noise. And the older I get, I think I've shared this from, on Sunday mornings, I, I know I'm close to 50 because Braden just can't sit still and ever be quiet. And half the time I look at him and I go, shh, the world doesn't need any more noise. He's always clicking or grunting or something. And I'm like, oh, I love you, but shh. Paul says to a church that's got all the bells and whistles, all the prominence, all the buzz and all the juice, but they don't have love, eh, it's not a great community. So if I ever ask you on the street or you ever make it to Jeopardy and you win, I expect part of the winnings. What is the measurement of the community of God? How we love, how we show our faith, and how we demonstrate our hope. And do you notice that those all have to be performed, or excuse me, enacted, Performance is a bad word. Because I can act like I love. I have. It's not real, though. How do we enact our faith, hope, and love? Because that's the community God's designed us for. Now, let me ask the bigger... Oh, and by the way, you have a blank there for me to, to fill in for you. 
When, when Paul thanked God for faith, hope, and love in the New Testament churches, he used the plural pronouns you and your. It's in just another one of those little digs I want to give you that if you're on an independent tour with Jesus, you need to get involved in his church. Because it's all about us, not about me. I can't do, in fact, I don't know, uh, I'm going to pick on Dr. Scott or Mr. Professor over here, but do you know how many one another's there are in the New Testament? I, I think the number 34 sticks in my head, differing versions. That, I'm just going to say it. They don't know either. 34. There are 34 one another commands found in the New Testament. It's in the 30s. Do you know you can do none of those by yourself? Every one of them requires a recipient. Once again, community is not about the American concept. Our worldview must change that my attendance in church is not just for my own spiritual formation. It's for our community's formation, our family's formation, and how that divests itself. Thirdly, what will we experience in God's community? First uh, Timothy 3.15, I am writing these things to you so that you'll know how to live in the family of God. Stop right here. I'm just curious. How many of you know somebody who says they love Jesus, but they don't love his church? And maybe they have great reason. I'm not judging that. How many of you have had that experience where someone says, I, I'm just, I love the Lord and I love Jesus, but I don't, I'm not doing the church thing? Or how many of you had the experience of a loved one that you care deeply about telling you that church membership, interesting term, and attendance in church is nowhere commanded in Scripture? Do you see what Satan does here? Satan basically takes the best parts of what God wants for us and he convinces people through our culture that they're not necessary. Now, the people that say they don't go to church would never say going to church is bad. They just say things like, it's not for me. And I'm often told, well, nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to go to church. And I'm like, okay, but you're missing a point here when Paul says, I'm writing these things so that you'll know how to live in the, what? The family of God, the community of faith. That family is the church of the living God, the support and foundation of the what? Truth. This was a verse we could have used as, as the foundation for this series. We went with 2 Corinthians 10.5 about taking every thought captive to Christ. But this verse is right there available as needed. Now, I don't want to give you this to go hit someone over the head and go, ha, we're right. We've missed the point. We need to show them is the culture has told them that as long as you are spiritual, however you want to define that word, that God's looking down at you going, well, you're better than them. Instead of saying, no, no, what God is saying is, I've created you for community, and in community, it's like the seed in the soil. Without, with your faith not being planted in the community of God, I question whether or not any of us can grow to, to the fullness and measure of Jesus Christ, as we're told in Ephesians chapter 4. So, I want to give you some little preacher tidbits. You know I outline. This is how I think out loud. If, if you ever get an email from me, it's probably five bullet points. All right? So, how does this community benefit us, and how do we participate in it? Let me run through these quickly. It inspires us to live intentionally, and I would like to refer to that as worship. And I'm just going to amen what Michael said last week, and if you haven't got a chance to listen to it, I'm going to force you that direction because... When he talked about what it means to live out a life of worship, even at work, that's what I'm talking about, living intentionally. And this passage in Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Notice that that's one of the one another's I mentioned earlier. That cannot be performed in isolation. 
Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I want to be careful here. I need to tell you, I'm going to give you an opinion piece, okay? You can disagree with me or agree with me. I'm not sure it's any more than just relevant to the overall conversation. I'm not sure when it says, let us give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, that the author of Hebrews was writing about Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. We like to translate it into our day and time. I think it was more than that. But there are some people who are coming to church because of this verse and missing the point that it's the community of faith. It's not an isolationism. You cannot gather the community in a cave on the side of a dark hill so that you're not polluted by the world because then you can't live out the one another's. How do you love your enemy? How do you do good to those that persecute you? Shake your head if this is making sense. It's not just Sunday morning services, because I don't know at the time this was written, those things would have been in, uh, that there would have been those opportunities. Uh, Okay, jumping down quickly. It inspires us to face life's problems called fellowship. I've already ridden that little pony around the ring, so I'll leave it there. How do you face life's problems? What do you do when you're hurting? Many of us turn and we isolate. My wife says to me, just tell me what you're feeling. I can't right now because I'm not sure what it is. It just hurts. Please tell me about it. No, you never tell me anything. I will when I know what I'm feeling. Now, she, on the other hand, she and Braden, they are, they're going to live so much longer than me <laughs> because when they hurt, they yell, ow, and they tell people. And I, I respect and admire them for it. But the church is a community where I love the fact on Sunday mornings that people come down here and they'll come walking down or meet me in the back and I look at them and I'm, I see them coming up. I go, attractive person, look at them. They're all dressed up. They got a smile on their face and they walk up and they say, would you pray with me? Why? Because my life is falling apart. And I'm like, now we're real. Sounds to me like church. My dad will call and say, how you doing? I'll say, good, dad. How are you? Fine. Now he'll say, all right, cut the crap. How's it really going? And I just laugh at him because I got grounded for crap when I was a kid. And he says, how's it really going? And I talked to my dad. Uh, I've been told, guys, let me explain this to you. I did some gender research for an upcoming series or a message, and I thought this was accurate. I don't know if you find it true, but ladies, let me explain the men in your world. If you ask a man how he's doing, he's explaining to you how the last 15 minutes have gone. Okay? How you doing? I just had dinner. Great. If you ask a woman how she's doing, she's giving you the update of the last 48 hours. I think that's why, ladies, you live longer than men. Because you accept fellowship and you use it and allow it to be useful. Thirdly, of course, those scriptures are there. I know you're a literate crowd, so I'm not going to read to you. I put them in there so that you can see them and understand them. Instructs us reasons to live by faith called discipleship. I'm scared today how many people have turned over their own walk with Christ to the professionals. It doesn't work. The church cannot replace your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but it can sure strengthen it. It can put you in situations and give you opportunities. I love uh, Hebrews 6.1, especially in the Living Bible. Let us go on and become mature in our understanding as strong Christians ought to be. Now, we're all gonna trip and stumble. You know, like we, we talked about a few months ago, we're not going to allow each other in this church to call sin mistakes. It's not acceptable. My son says to me, oh, that was a mistake. No, a mistake is when you trip over the couch. 
A sin is when you throw a football at your brother. There's a big difference between the two. And discipleship and that call to that in fellowship is to be honest with one another and to hold people to a higher standard. I don't know how many times I heard my father look at his four sons and say these words, we don't do that. And Scott and I would look at each other and go, but we just did. And he'd go, no, no, we're not going to do that. Yes, sir. Understood. There was a level in our home that was unacceptable, and if you crossed it, it was identified, and it was identified out of hatred? No. What was it identified out of? Out of absolute love. My dad still today parents me. He'll call me all the time and say, hey, I heard you said this in your sermon. You better change that. That was awkward. Yes, sir. My dad is discipling me to this day. Next point. It involves us in finding our gifting, service. It involves us in finding our gifting, which is service. God has intentionally wired you to be a player, not a spectator. And I'm going to just say this. I, I guess I can get away with it. If not, you can write me an email and we'll have coffee and we'll discuss it. If, if you are in the community of God and you're not using your gifting... I believe you have exposed yourself more to the attacks of the enemy than you've imagined. When, when you've left it, when you retire from... Sir, I, I can go on and on. And it's not because I'm angry, because I've seen people that love Jesus passionately who sat on the sidelines and atrophied. Their faith atrophied. And, and you know what that means? That's when a muscle you don't use. You break an arm, they put it in a cast, and you pull it out, and it's a little skinny arm compared to the meat you had before they put the cast on. It's atrophy. The muscles deteriorate from what? Lack of use. Um, I'm trying to think if it was John Maxwell, I believe, who said that he believes faith is a muscle. The more it's exercised, the more endurance and perseverance it has. The less it's exercised, the flimsier it becomes, and the less vital it is. That's not a threat. I just think it's a truth. It's a a biological truth in your life. I don't know spiritually why some of those principles wouldn't apply as well. But God has intentionally wired you to be a player. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good work. You, You know this, right? The word workmanship is the word for poem, for artistry. It's the Greek word poema. It's where we get the English word poem. It's an expression of our artistic ability and design. God has created you with a particular flair. I ask this question often because I really want to know the answer. When I look at a sunset, how many different shades of yellow are there? Because there's more than three, would you agree? And I wonder sometimes if God ever creates a sunset or a sunrise and looks at the angels and goes, I am good. Look at that pink right over there. That's a new shade. That's for you boys. I wonder if he ever does that because I'm amazed every time I see it. God is an artist and he's created people with their own fingerprints. If you want to study the uniqueness of creation, just look up Louis Giglio on YouTube and you can spend the next three hours watching videos of some of the most beautiful presentations of the artistry of God. I highly recommend it. 1 Corinthians 12 Verse 5, there are different kinds of service. And then in verse 27, it says, and he lists them. And then he says, together you form the body of Christ, and each one of you is a, read to me, folks. It's not optional. You are necessary. I like what Matt Proctor, president of Ozark, said in a sermon a few years ago. He says, God didn't make spare Christians. Every single piece is needed in the engine that is the church, the community, and its vitality. 
And unfortunately, Satan's convinced some of us we're not needed. We've disqualified ourselves. I don't know how you disqualify yourself from serving your king. Sin doesn't do that. And I think only shame does that, and shame is not of the Lord. Hope and mercy and kindness is of the Lord. And, you know, and truth is, one of the reasons we encourage people to be in small groups in our church is not because we walk around with a number going, you know, 67% of our people are involved in groups. No, because in a church this size, you, you need a church your size. You need a place where you know people's stories. You need a place where you can share personally with people who are invested in you and you invest in them. And nothing thrills my heart more than Adam Scooty to come to my office and say, hey, so-and-so had a medical crisis this week. And I'm like, what do we need to do? And he looks at me, he goes, it's done. The life group showed up, brought meals, took care of the kids, put the dog out, cut the lawn, did all these things. And I turn around and I go, man, gotta be careful. These little churches are gonna rob the big church the way it ought to be. And so small groups are not to keep you busy. Small groups are to keep you in community and to give you relationships that matter, which we're all seeking. It also involves us in fulfilling God's plan, and let me just call that mission. I think the word mission may have been stolen from us in some trending today about mission is selling everything and moving to another country, and and I can go with missional and how that's affecting things. But the mission that we've been given is to use what we have, right? Just let's uh, let's do a little old-fashioned church. Give me a holy harumph if you agree with this. Is it our mission to use the money we have for what blesses the kingdom? I'm going to wait on you. Some of you are. I didn't ask if you like it. I asked if you agreed with it. We'll try that again. Do you believe that the money we have is to be used for the kingdom? Do you believe the time we have is to be used for God? That the friends we have are means by which we can do ministry? That the words we have matter? That the talents we have make a difference. That the pains we have are useful. (laughs) It's back down to three of you. Oh, man. (laughs) Once again, I didn't ask you if you're volunteering. I asked you if you can see that God is able to even use your pain. How about the triumphs we have? Do you believe that God ever wastes the hurt? How about the joys we have and the sorrows we have? So here's the big question I want to ask you. Does life make sense? No, it does if you have a worldview that understands a God who is sovereign, a God who is merciful, a God who, even if he doesn't deliver you on this side of death, will fully deliver you and completely deliver you on the other side of it. That's what community means, is the church, left on its own, <laughs> its own merits, our mistakes, things like the Crusades, uh, things like the overemphasis on numbers instead of people, all of those issues scare us to death and make the church seem invaluable until we turn around and we see what God's doing with it. And we had a beautiful story this week. There was a young person who was supposed to be baptized after one of our services, and the team went back there to meet him at what they thought was the appointed time, and there was no person there. And there was great sadness amongst all of us because we're like, oh, I hope, I hope they didn't think we missed them because they weren't important and we had all these feelings and they came back and they laughed because they walked back in the baptistry and all they saw were wet footprints from the baptistry to one of the changing rooms. And you know what I loved about that? Someone said, I don't need them and they just went and gave themselves to the Lord. And I think God's in heaven going, yay church. So we don't know if the Holy Spirit took a bath or not but we saw little wet feet go right through that room and we thought, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. So, Acts 20, 24. Paul concluded this. 
I consider my, wife, my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Megan Garris said on this stage about a year ago, community is more than a luxury, it's a necessity. And I looked at her and I said, where'd you get that? She smiled and she said, it just came to me. And I said, keep saying it. It's not a luxury. It's a necessity for every single one of us. So I want to reshape our worldview to say that the church is a useful community to become everything God wants you to become and to help me become everything I need to become, to be held accountable, which is the next line. What does it take to accomplish community? Accountability. Now, I wanted to put, Adam Scooty and I talked about this, I'd like to put about 16 different descriptions of accountability, but time doesn't allow it, and you guys are intelligent, so. Accountability is not optional, right? If you don't believe that, tear out of this parking lot and head down on Highway D to the corner as fast as you want to go and see if there's accountability. Because there's a group in the black and white car that wait there every Wednesday night to pick off Christians who aren't quite living what they just learned. <laughs> All right? Seriously. <laughs> Teach on submission, and there's nine of you lined up on the corner getting tickets. It's gorgeous. <laughs> How many of you feel an accountability to yourself? Have you ever offended yourself? Have you ever shamed yourself, embarrassed yourself? Accountability, when people argue against it, I could spend all day showing them, you choose accountability all the time. You put yourself under a professor, and you let Michael grade your papers, and you say, assess me. It's accountability. You sign up for a class and you take a syllabus and Dr. Mark Scott says, here's what you're going to do this semester and you say, I'll do it. That's accountability. My wife says, will you stop by the grocery store? Yeah, what do you want me to get? I'll text you before you leave. It's accountability. It used to be, oh, I forgot. She goes, no, you're just too cheap. You didn't buy the good kind. <laughs> now she writes, honestly, I'll get a text saying, nothing generic. I'm like, dang it. I'm accountable. Because if I go home, she'll send me back out. You're accountable to family, to the church, to employers, to friends. You're accountability to your reputation. You're accountable to your money. There is no accountability in any, or there's, there's not a lack of accountability in any area of your life. Yet the accountability in the community of God is only a blessing. It's only a blessing. Romans 14, 12. So each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. It's a powerful passage. Jesus said a lot about this uh, issue of accountability, and I just encourage you, when you read your, your Gospels, listen to what Jesus said about accountability. Remember the son? The dad said, hey, I need you to go take the trash out. I'm paraphrasing a paraphrase. Take the trash out, and the one says, dad, I'll do it, and he sat on the couch and watched television. Said to the other son, you need to help take the trash out. I'm not gonna. Halfway through it, he realized he should, and he took the trash out. Which one honored the father? the one who accepted the accountability of who his dad was and what that relationship meant to him. Then I want to take you to Galatians chapter 6. Now open your physical Bibles to this. I know the text is there, but when I first started as a youth minister and had two sermons, I just changed the titles on them. This was one of my favorite ones. I'd like to refer to this as an, in a practical understanding of community. I'd like to just call this Christianity and the Three Bears. Okay? Something you're like, great, a bedtime story, perfect. As you fall asleep, I'm going to give you a bedtime story. If you read Galatians chapter 6, Paul, in a beautiful book, 
is bringing to fruition the concept of our accountability and community. And he gives commands, not suggestions, about how we live out this worldview that says, it's not about coming in on Sunday morning and listening to Mark. It's not about making sure my kids go to church so they grow up good moral creatures. It's not about, well, it's not the church I grew up in. It's better than the church I grew up in because the music's more contemporary and there's not hardwood pews and we're not singing out of a little green book. None of those things are relevant to our discussion today. The church needs to be relevant for us because we have something to offer and it honors God. It's what you give. It's what you become. Uh, I know I've bored you with this story before, but I am so grateful to this day. I tell him very regularly that my father used to make us do things around the church and he'd always say, we'd say, why do we have to do this? And he'd say, because it's your church. And that's always stuck with me. Why do we have to shovel the drive? Because it's your church. Which was funny, because he sat in the truck. I guess it wasn't his, it was ours. But we would shovel, we would, after VBS, it was the Christian boys that wrapped up the trash and took it out to the dumpster. We were the ones that stayed around while mom and dad stood in the foyer and yapped over a cup of coffee and we were dying to go home. We were the kids that sat in the back of the church like most of you did with our coats on, just waiting for the preacher to say amen so we could go sit in the car while mom and dad hung out with their friends. And I used to go, why do we have to spend all day here on Sunday? We had to come back in two hours for Sunday night anyway. Just bring a sleeping bag, you know? And I'd say all these smart comments, and my dad would turn around, and my mom would spare my life. (laughs) And I had no appreciation growing up for how important that was until my grandparents died. And who were the people that showed up to be with my mom and dad in my mom's worst moment? The church. Co-workers? Uh Uh-uh. The church. All those people on Sunday nights who went to Bob Evans and could take a bowl of bean soup and take five hours to eat it for the love. And I would sit there and be like, Dad, can I go home? My greatest day in my life in the church was when I was 16 and could drive. Because after Sunday night service, I'm like, see ya, I'm going home. But I look now and I relish it. 22 years in Mount Pleasant at First Church of Christ and uh, I still get phone calls from people. People who we grew up with who are calling and saying, hey, how did B do in his football game on Saturday? These are people who haven't seen Braden in six years who are calling and just saying, how did football game go? Send us some pictures. Because they remember this little chunky four-year-old running around always wanting to be what his big brother was. And I'm thinking, that makes up for some rough Sunday nights. That makes up for taking the trash out. Church, are you with me? The problem is some of us had such a horrific experience in the local church that when you hear me talk about community, you become a little bit angry. You become a little bit resentful. Not at me, but you're like, why didn't I get that? Oh, my church was less than perfect. We had one guy we sat behind and we had a contest every Sunday. How long until he did the church nod? You know, when he was sound asleep and the head went uncontrollably down to his chest, the whole, and then he stood around, he did one of those, like, yeah, I was like, amen, you know, and we used to laugh. His name was Art Reed and we loved Art Reed. He'd take his, went to keep awake, he'd take, he was a carpenter, he'd take out his big carpenter's knife and cut the calluses off his hands. And my mom would have to turn her body so she couldn't watch. And it was live theater. It was better than Branson. My brothers and I were sitting behind him going, there goes Zart, there goes mom, clockwork. 
But I remember the preacher of my church, Ken Washburn, um, who did some time in Carthage. Uh, Ken showing up to my high school baseball games in his suit coat and his tie and sitting for two innings in the bleacher and popping his head in the dugout and saying, nice game, young man, and going down the road. And I'm thinking, huh, it wasn't church services. It wasn't Sunday night death marches. It wasn't VBS. It was when a lady named Carol Root came up to me on a Sunday morning knowing I was bored stiff and said, hey, (laughs) this is the funniest question ever asked me. Do you want to do puppet ministry? (laughs) And get out of here? Yeah. So I went down while they played Bill Gaither's children music and I held a puppet up with my hand and did this and made the kids laugh and I started to think, I think I'd rather serve than sit. And they would say, would you help with this? And I started to help with that. And we had the old easel with the songs written in marker on these big white pieces of paper. Some of you remember those days. And the kids would sing the song. Go to the second verse. Someone had to flip it. I flipped the charts. (laughs) And my mom started sucking her sons out of this area where they didn't understand it. And she put us in an area where we started doing things. And all of a sudden, I woke up on Sunday mornings. Mom, we got to get there early. We got to get the puppets set up. Now, this is the first time publicly I've ever admitted I did puppets. (laughs) But those ridiculous puppets kept me interested in the kingdom. And so I think for some of us, the reason I said earlier that the church, it doesn't matter to us, is because you've watched it for too long. Go do something with it. And I'm not shaming you. Please, please understand my heart right now. What I want to say to you as a pastor is, There are some people that would be blessed if you started being a blessing for your own good and start contributing. I had a lady around here say, we don't have any flowers around here. Well, A, we don't have any dirt. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is nothing but rock and clay. But we'll get you some dirt if you want to plant flowers. And people say, I'd like to help around here. You just offered your in. Um, My fear is in a community this large, people walk in and go, I'm not needed. That's a lie. You are needed. You are valued. Uh, We cannot sustain our impact in this community with the number of people we currently have. Because I don't know your neighbors. I don't know the people at work that God's put you there, as Michael said last week, so you can administer the gospel hope and change their hearts. Now, let me tell you my bedtime story, and we'll be done. Christianity and the Three Bears, number one. Paul tells us to bear one another's burdens. This is when you get out of the seat and you start using your hands and your heart to bless other people. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. When someone says to me, and I know what they're saying, but they say to me, you don't need the church. I say, you can't live out Galatians chapter 6 because he refers to them. What's the first word he uses? He's talking to the family of God. And he calls us to bear one another's burdens. Not what they were receiving, but what they were giving. To the lost, to the hurting, to the hungry, to the poor. And what I really love, truthfully, is he says, (laughs) this is my favorite part, to the broken. Um, I remember Mother's Day 
in this tiny little church in South Bend, which if anybody would make fun of Northway Church of Christ, you and I are gonna, we're gonna step outside because that church changed my life. But I used to remember Mother's Day. Do you remember when we used to have like moms stand up on Mother's Day in the tiny, how many of you had that experience, right? And I'll never forget, David McCulley and I have talked about this, I'll never forget the one year that they said, would the youngest mother in the crowd stand up? And a 14-year-old did. Nobody thought about that one. And this little girl stood up with this brand new little baby. And I remember, wow. I remember two ladies walking up and taking her baby from her and sitting next to her for the next four or five weeks. You don't get that at work. Because my brothers and I were like, oh, dude. We were thinking my dad was going to go off. And I remember looking down the row. My dad had his head down. He embarrasses as easy as I do. And I just remember those two ladies, Janice and Barb, taking her baby and sitting with her and welcoming her on Mother's Day. That's beautiful. She could have been ashamed, but she wasn't. Because why? She was loved. Bear one another's burdens. Fred Craddock is a preacher's preacher, a storyteller extraordinaire. One of my favorite stories about Fred was he was talking to a group of ministers, and he said that when he made his decision, I love his imagery, he said when he made his decision to go into ministry, his, he thought that it was like a $1,000 bill he was offering God. And God would say to him, here's what you're going to do. You're going to have one moment in time where you're going to take your $1,000 bill and you're going to walk up in front of everyone and you're going to present that $1,000 bill and everyone's going to go, ooh. He said he found out soon after he became a Christian, however, that God let him have the $1,000 bill, but he exchanged it for dimes, nickels, and quarters. And what he said to him was, for the rest of your life, you're going to hand out dimes, nickels, and quarters in my name and nobody's going to ooh, but everyone's going to be blessed. Bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6.10. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the what? Family of faith. Second, bear our own burdens. Galatians 6.3 and 5. This is interesting. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one shall bear his own load. Did Paul just contradict himself? Bear one another's burdens, but also bear your own. Is it a contradiction? Michael? Nope. Michael says, nope, I move on. No, what he's saying is it's, there are certain things that you have to take responsibility for, correct? That your sin, your consequences. Chad said that from day one, and I've loved him for it. He said, a worldview really is only examined by the consequences you bear because of it. And you know you don't believe in a worldview if you won't live out the consequences that hold to it. That was really refreshing for me. It was help, very helpful and clarifying. So I, I've looked at this over and over, and, and uh, there's this uh, uh, Fonstock's rules for failure. If at first you don't succeed, destroy all the evidence. I think it might be addressing that trend. My understanding of this passage is he's talking to the church and he's telling them to be responsible for themselves to the best of their ability, to be humble about who they are and to deal with the issues they have. Uh, I've told you this before. I'm not 
I'm not proud of this. I don't promote it because it's a good thing. But when I get in duress, it's, it's been my nature from the longest time, and I have to fight with it every day. That's not an exaggeration. Every day, when I think I'm in trouble, I will not always tell the truth. I will tell enough of the truth to get me out of trouble. And I have a wife who's known me for 30 years now who will look at me every now and then and go, I don't believe you. I hate that. And we were first married. I was like, so? Can't prove it. You know, very, very mature of me, you know. <laughs> really leading the household spiritually, you know? And finally now I look at her and I say, you're right, I'm sorry. And she's gracious. You can tell me the truth, you scare me. <laughs> but the truth is, I'll always pick me over you most every time if I act like me. When I act like Jesus, I have to believe the truth will win. I think that's what Paul's alluding to. You know, the old Sesame Street game, one of these things just doesn't belong here. One of these things just isn't the same. Uh, I think these two can coexist, or coexist rather, uh, for the body of Christ. I think that means preachers stop blaming their elders and the people of their church. Members quit making excuses. College kids don't wait until tomorrow. High school kids, it's your faith, not mom's. I could go on and on and on. Uh, we can't fix everything. I, I joke about my wife because I love her. Uh, but the Greek word bear in this verse, I'm told, means to carry your cargo and backpack. If that's accurate, I love the imagery. That you carry your own pack in life. Take responsibility for what you put in there and what you don't have in there as well. Lastly, bear on my body the mark of Christ. It's found in verses 14 through 17. Paul says, but may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon Israel of God. For now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand mark of Jesus. And so, if this was an exam, I would say pull out a piece of paper and write the answer to this question. What does the brand mark of Jesus on you look like? How do you bear it? I did not come to rule, but to serve. He gave his life as a ransom. He gave up the best parts of heaven to come to earth and live the worst parts of earth so we could go to heaven. He, he bore on his body the brand mark of Jesus. Um, the Greek word for bear that I'm told in this case means to take on your person or make personal. I own this. That's why I love Dale Christian's sloppy theology. It's our church. It is. It is. And that means little things. Uh, I heard a preacher say this a few months ago, and Braden and I made a pact. I love when he comes up and he goes, Dad, you and me. Yeah, you and me. He says, we're going to be the family that takes the carts back to Walmart. I said, really? He goes, yeah. So now we go into Walmart. Now, sometimes he gets happy and he wants to pick them all up. I'm like, no, you're taking someone's job, okay? Just relax. <laughs> but if you want to grab three or four, let's stack them up and take them back in. I don't know where he got that idea, but it impressed upon him. And he turns around and we'll see a piece of paper walking down the hallway and he'll stop with dad. He'll walk over and pick it up. And I'm thinking, he's getting it at nine. I didn't get it till 40. It's our church. So Christianity in the three bears means I can't live out the fullness of my gospel existence without you. And let me threaten you. You can't live it without me. And the church is not about my name or the name of Christ Church of Orinogo. 
What I really love is our elders here have been so supportive. Uh, we ask you not to go out and talk about Christ Church of Orinogo. We ask you to go out and talk about Christ Church, wherever it is, whoever it is, wherever it lands, community. It is the fruition of understanding my value, of me understanding your value, and understanding how God has called us to glorify him. How is the manifold grace of God made known? Through this thing of community and fellowship and existence and service and worship and love and two old ladies walking up in front of everybody on the most awkward moment in my church existence. Well, there were a few worse. Back in the uh, Sandy Patty days, there were people who tried to sing her music who couldn't. And I would, my wife would laugh because I'd be sitting in the holy chair next to the pulpit and they would start singing and I would slip off stage and go in the back because I couldn't take it. But that young lady, Tracy, stood up with her brand new baby and I saw the love of the kingdom of heaven displayed. And I see it when my little nine-year-old grabs three grocery carts and pushes them back into Walmart. And I see it when someone goes in the hospital and a life group shows up. And I see it when a new baby's born and meals are taken over. And I could bore you to death with what I get to see every week. I believe this, the church works. I believe it works. And there's plenty of room for people who wanna work to get in on the work, because I think it's eternal. Michael, any questions? We've got three so far. Uh, first one is, is it wrong to guard and protect our family time? And I love the second part of this because people can just be draining. <laughs> so the question of guarding and protecting family time, speak to that generally. And then also specifically, yeah. I think this person makes a good point. It just, you know, we only have so much relational energy. How do we parse that out faithfully? Really good questions. Um, yeah, I don't want to make you feel guilty about your family, but I also want to ask you the question. Um, are you investing spiritually in your family in that time? Because they can be cooperative. My fear is, and let me just talk about my family. If my, if my son believes that coaching him in baseball and in football is more important to him than coaching him in Jesus, I've missed it. He's gonna get the message based on how I relay that. And so he and I, I try to talk to him regularly. I'll be honest with you. With Alex, I didn't know how to be a dad. And when I don't know what to do sometimes, I do nothing. I wish I would have made more mistakes with Alex. So when it comes to family time, I want to be real honest with you. You need to protect family time, but you have to ask yourself the question, are you building them spiritually as well as letting them know you love them? Because if you spend all of your time impressing upon your children that you love them and they don't know why you love them, you're, you're really doing a good thing for you, and I don't know if you're doing a good thing for them. Now, what I love about a church this size is you don't get the stink eye when you don't show up to a program like happens in a smaller church. Some of us have been there. You know, and what I love about this church is some of you have jobs and obligations, and we get that. But we're not going to stop caring about the balance in your life, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks as well. So the second part of that question was... Because people can be draining. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I may have sent that question in. Um, being the introvert uh, that I am, uh, yeah, going to a place in a large room of people that I don't know is horrific. And my wife is such a butterfly and talks to everybody and everybody loves her. I just stand over her shoulder and my whole question the whole night is, can we go home? 
People are draining. It takes a lot for me to be in a large group of people. Some of you live for that. We've talked about that a lot around here. Some of you, if you get sent to your room, that's the greatest day of your life. And some of you, if you got sent to your room, you'd rather die. So for those of you that are introverts, you have to make time for people because this isn't just about me. I, I have to be available. And then when I retreat, I just go grab a book and lay on bed, and I'm the happiest guy in America. Second question of three, uh, how should we deal with the increasing division in society in a Christian way with a Christian attitude? Class warfare, special interests, and yeah. civil rights issues are tearing the Christian view of community to pieces. Let me read it again. No, I think, tell me if I'm missing the gist of it. I think what we're asking, what, what we're called to do biblically is infiltrate every opportunity we get with the light of Christ. That may be a temporary infiltration or it may be a permanent infiltration. But when there are moments that we can love people in the name of Jesus and serve people, we don't need an invitation and we may not need to stay long. So when there, all these divisions are going out, and I'll be honest with you, I, I think I've said this clearly from the stage. It's my opinion. I don't know if it represents the elders of this church, but at this point, I am very, very concerned for what's going to take place in our country in the next 10 years when it comes to my being a professed believer. It is not going to be easy. It used to be, I'm a pastor in town, people think well of me. Now they think I'm an idiot. And they're waiting for my first stumble so they can use it against me. But Game on. The Holy Spirit is my defender. I'm not. I have to live above reproach and make my choices. But we're living in a culture where the, the brightness of your light, no matter how dim, is going to become brighter because the world is isolating from truth and it just wants to feel what it wants to feel. And I'm not a prophet that condemns culture, but why are we shocked? Jesus said they hated me, they'll hate you. And I think some of us need to sharpen our blade because the hatred's coming in bigger waves and lasting longer. And the word of God and the will of God are the only thing that are going to compel us forward. So that balances. This is a strengthening. You've got to sharpen the blade. If you're, you, know, you can't take a dull blade into a knife fight. And we're about to enter into a major knife fight with culture. But we're going to love them and serve them and honor them. The knife fight was a bad metaphor. But we're going to go into this. <laughs> and we're going to do what Jesus asked us to do. And we're going to, we're going to get bruised. It's, we're going to get bruised. And it's not going to be fun. But it's worth it because... Only when the love of Christ overwhelms the hatred of man does the gospel really go forward. Last one. This is a great one to end on because um, you can speak to it in reference to the community piece, but then also generally of a Christian worldview. Uh, why can we be so eager to follow Christ when here Sunday and Wednesday and then accidentally forget and get busy with life? I have such a deep desire yeah. to live every moment for God, but it doesn't happen. How do you recommend this in our busy lives? Beautiful question. If I'd have answered that in 15 minutes, it would have been a better session. Listen to what Michael said last week. Even though he was referencing work, he actually gave us real practical illustration for multiple areas. Why do you play sports? Why do you work? Why do you vacation? What do you do on your day off? All of those things can be answered by the principles that were put in play. So, why is it easy? And what you've just done in your question, whoever you asked it, I appreciate you validated the import of having a worldview based on community. Why is it a, such a blessing to be here on Sundays and Wednesdays and so difficult? Because you're isolating yourself from the strength you get in the community you get. Now, I'm not suggesting you spend all your time with Christians. You'll go crazy. But you have to get the stink of the church on you to carry that into the world. So why is it easy on Sunday? Because you're encouraged. You're around the Word of God. You're singing praise to God. And none of those are copyrighted by this facility. Every one of them are available every day in your life. 
I don't listen a lot to K-Love because I have a large collection of music. So I, I pick the songs I like and I put them in my phone and I listen to the music I want to listen to and the songs and I have some new songs and I run into Brad and Isaac and I go, I like this song. Do you think we can do it? And of course, well, how are they going to tell me? No, I'm the boss, right? <laughs> but I have to. I, I'm a preacher. I'm paid to be this guy. And I have to every day choose what music I'm going to put in my mind. How do I open my day? I don't like reading my Bible when I get up in the morning, so I started reading it before I go to bed at night. It's been a huge change. My dreams aren't as weird. I actually wake up ready to go about my day. Instead of the obligation in the morning, I'm refreshed when I go to bed. Then I began reading the Psalms through my read-through, and guess what I find the psalmist says? In the morning and in the evening watch. I'm like, huh, God, you're pretty quick. So why are Sunday and Wednesdays? Look at the environment you're in. And I'm not talking about this building. Look who you're talking to. Listen to what you're focused on. You can have that every day, but it is a discipline. It's not going to happen by accident. Nothing good ever happens accidentally and lasts. So my encouragement to every single one of us is, you can have a day of worship every single day. I know I've shared this. Gary Price told me it mattered to him. Uh, my dad made a choice, and he shared this with me. My dad loves himself a cup of coffee. But he won't read his, or he won't drink his cup of coffee in the morning until he's had his time in the Word. And I look at that and I go, he's, he knows himself well enough to build a discipline that prioritizes God above his own personal comfort. Really good questions. Let me pray. And Michael, do you have anything that you want to? Good. Please. Okay. Yep. Well, yeah, why don't you come up and I'll, I'll just pray it and then you can uh, go ahead and talk about what's coming up. Father God, thank you for the joy of the church and thank you for the pain of the church. God, forgive us for those moments, even in my jesting tonight, where I may, without intention or desire, diminish the value of that little tiny church in South Bend, Indiana. Because without that, I don't know where I'd be. I know that I wouldn't have had the discipline and focus to know who you are. I wouldn't have had Sunday school teachers who loved me and came to my ball games and still send me birthday cards and ask about my family and God, you really teach me, away from all my idiosyncrasies, you teach me the value of community. And I pray for those that are here, and maybe this isn't their church home, and they desire these things, I pray when they go back to their congregation, to the people that they gather with every week, I pray that they will lead out. And I pray for each one of us in this room, by the conviction of your spirit, that we would offer somebody real community this week, and relish it, enjoy it, obey it, and find our hope in it. God, I thank you for what you do for us. And most of all, I thank you for the way you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So a couple of things just about what's to come. Um, we're going to be doing Q&A sessions both this Sunday and the next Wednesday. This Sunday, uh, I believe it's going to be Mark, myself, and Chad, and it's going to be specifically focusing on, question, focusing on questions of truth. What is truth? You know, well, how, how do we believe the truth? How do we know the truth? Those kind of things. And then we may have time for, for some additional asking questions, but we've got kind of a bunch that we're going to be dealing with, and we're going to do it uniquely in that we'll be, there's like a one or two, one and a half questions that we'll ask each service, but then for the most part, each service will be different types of questions. So if you are able to, you know, feel free to come from multiple services or, you know, after it's over, um, I would, we would encourage you to go in and listen to the other services that you didn't come to online. We'll put it all online and you'll have that there. And then next Wednesday night, uh, Mark and myself and, and Mark Scott are going to be up here answering questions and we'll have some prepared, but we'll also leave a lot of space for what you want to ask. So if you've been wondering about things in relationship to this series, and I know we've gotten some that we haven't dealt with here together tonight. Um, it will be a time, that will be again next Wednesday night. 
um, where we're just going to be really wanting to deal with the specific things you're wondering about. So the next few of these installments, Q&A on Sunday, uh, focusing on truth, Q&A next week, talking about any number of things, and then the sexuality talk on October 5th uh, that we want to look forward to as well. One last thought so that you end on the kind of things that he's been talking about. When you were just praying, I, I remembered a quote I'd heard, and this is everything you've said tonight reminds me of this quote, and I can't remember who said it, but somebody in some point in church history once said that a person can't have God for their father who won't have the church for their mother. And I think that that's what I think of when you talk about the importance of community. And if we all know the truth, none of our moms are perfect, but we still love them because they're our moms. And that's what I believe you've encouraged us to do tonight. So thank you, and thank you all for being here. You are dismissed. We'll see you this weekend. Thank you for listening to a Wednesday night class from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these classes or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.